in a sociological piece of research done by Daly and Batson at Princeton in 1973, a group of theology students were asked to give a sermon, as you would expect, on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Most of us are familiar with the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan from the Bible. And as part of the research, those students were hurried to try to get to their place where they were supposed to deliver their sermon. Interestingly enough, the researchers, Dali in Boston, had hired a, an actor to play the role of a victim who was coughing and suffering on the pavement, on the way to the place where they were supposed to give the sermon, to take part in this examination. It was really interesting because their research showed that 90% of the late students at Princeton Theological Seminary ignored the needs of the suffering person in their haste to get right across the campus to deliver their sermon. Guess what the topic was? The Good Samaritan. And as the study reported its finding, this is what it says. Indeed, on several occasions, a seminary student going to give his talk of the parable of the Good Samaritan literally stepped over the victim in order to hurry away to take the exam. It's staggering, it's surprising, it's kind of shocking, but it might not be as far removed from our experience and our reality than you imagine. We're going to look at a parable, one of the most well-known parables that Jesus told. And the parables were in many ways simple stories that Jesus told. It. Interestingly enough, they translate well in different cultures and they age very well over the centuries. But don't make the mistake of thinking they're just stories. They are very subversive stories. And they're stories that get under your skin and get in your face because they're trying to get a point across. Now, if you've grown up in church, you'd have seen a lot of people dismantling all the symbolism in the stories and everything becomes interpreted. And it, it, it's kind of very stretched and you could almost make it say anything. Instead, I think the best approach to understanding the parables and particularly the parable of the Good Samaritan is to try to get at the core of what the parable is trying to say. The context in which this is happening, uh, this is uh, found in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to the test and wanted to test Jesus. And he said this, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus is asking him. How do you read it? So he answers and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and here comes the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan 
as he traveled, came where the man was, when he saw him, he took pity on him, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expenses that you may have. Jesus is concluding his story by asking the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I'm sure you probably heard the story, maybe told in a slightly different way, but you'd remember the details. In fact, it's, it's a phrase that is coined within the language of our culture. Often when somebody does a good deed, people would refer to them and say they are a good Samaritan. And very often the media can be full of stories just like that. What is happening here? I think it's a story, it's a parable full of surprises. And the first set of surprises are quite unpleasant surprises. Because what you find is two types of religious people, one a priest and one a Levite. It's the equivalent of a pastor and a worship leader in our modern day. The story is surprising because it starts with a sad attack on an innocent man by the robbers. Once again, we live in a world and everything that's been happening just even over the last few weeks, never mind the last few months, is telling us that the world in which we live in is fairly broken. Things aren't right. Things aren't as they should be. And this is another evidence in the story that Jesus tells that unfortunately, an innocent man can be attacked by a bunch of robbers on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And you have two spiritual leaders. So if we wouldn't know the outcome of the story, me and you would have an expectation, right? Just, just go with my argument. We would have an expectation that somehow the people most likely to help a man found in need would have been religious people, because that's what religious people do. Religious people are kind, are nice, are helpful, are ready to step in and help somebody else. And particularly religious leaders, not just religious people, but religious leaders of two varieties. They pass by and they totally ignore the man. Shocking. Unpleasant surprise. Not just that the man is attacked by robbers, but that you have those who you would have expected to reach out and help him passing by. Not just one, surprise, surprise, but two. Two different types of religious people, religious leaders, in fact. They both step by and don't stop to look after the man that finds himself in need. This is an unpleasant surprise here that Jesus is telling those hearers. In fact, you would imagine that as Jesus is telling the story, and you know what it's like. I, I love listening to stories. And, and, and sometimes you can listen to a story and think well, what's going to be the outcome. And people are waiting with bated breath and trying to find out. And when Jesus is telling about the priest going by and not helping, people would have gasped. 
going, whoa, no way. But then the Levite comes by, and again, people think, whoa, this can't be true. I mean, you can have one person going by, but two people going by, and they were religious, and they were leaders, religious leaders, that is totally surprising, but an unpleasant surprise. It makes you wonder why. Why did they just see him and pass on the other side? I mean, this is as shocking as they pass on the other side, Luke is saying. It's not that they just go and in a sort of inconspicuous way pretend the man isn't there. They, they're so obviously troubled by this man and so obviously wanting to avoid him. It's almost an ostentative gesture through which they pass on the other side as not to have anything to do with him. Why would they do that? Well, they could have had loads of excuses. One of the excuses, they might have been coming uh, from Jerusalem, from the temple, having worked all day long, and they might have been very tired, both of them. And they would have said, look, you know, just want to get home, see the kids, wash ourselves up, get some food and just crash down. They might have been in that situation. Maybe they would have said to themselves, do you know, what if it's a trap? You'd have heard of stories like that, particularly somewhere in the middle of nowhere. There's a person lying on the ground in on the road. People stop by, they get out of the car and then they get attacked and robbed. They might have think, thought to themselves, well, if it, what if it's just a bait in order for us to stop and then we will be attacked and maybe bad things. So fear could have been motivating them to actually say, I'm just going to go. I'm too tired. I'm too afraid. Or they might have just said, look, we're busy. We haven't got time to stop. They would have realized it and they would have done the maths in their head. And me and you are funny like that. Unless it's just me. We can be funny like that because we sometimes realize that if we engage with an issue, it's going to take time. And sometimes we just rationalize it by saying, you know what? I just haven't got that kind of time. So I'm not going to get involved with that person. I'm not going to listen to what they've got to say. I'm not going to pick up the phone. I'm not going to go and see them because it's just too much and I'm too busy. Those could have been some of the excuses they would have used. I am just too tired. I am afraid. I am too busy. And instead, they walk past the man and in fact, they go on the other side and they carry on to do this. Could have been another one. It's not my fault. How many times have we been in these kind of situations where something bad happens to somebody and you kind of go, well, you know, it's not my fault. Not my fault. You know, it's their fault. They should sort themselves out. Why did that guy walk on this road? Sometimes we're just as stupid as that when we make those kind of arguments. Well, if they would have been a bit more careful, forgetting that that could have been them. They could have been in that situation. What's he doing walking on this road anyway? It's too dangerous. Or sometimes they would have said, well, and this is the masterpiece excuse for all of us. There's going to be somebody else that's going to come and stop. Why does it have to be me? It's going to be somebody else. Somebody less busy, maybe less afraid, maybe less tired. Somebody else will come and look after him. Why does it have to be me? It's not my responsibility. It's not my fault. And they could have simply used any one of these excuses or a combination of all these excuses in order to pass by. And this is so surprising. You would have not expected this. 
from religious men, in fact, religious leaders. But as Jesus unveils the rest of the story, there's a real twist. Because the surprise continues, but this time, it's a great surprise. It's a pleasant surprise. You see, I think the story of the Good Samaritan, Rich Villodas, a pastor in New York, is saying this. It's not just an example of compassionate spirituality. It is a critique against religious passivity. If church people won't work for justice and mercy, God will find some other people who will. And this is what's happening here. You have the religious people, the church people, two religious leaders, a pastor and a worship leader going by, crossing on the other side, possibly using excuses not to engage with somebody in need. And guess what? God finds somebody who does connect. But it's a surprising person. It's a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans were at odds with each other. There were racial tensions. There was a sign of suspicion and superiority on each of those sides. And there was a problem. So when Jesus is telling the story to a Jewish audience and the hero becomes a Samaritan, whoa, people are falling backwards with surprise thinking, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're telling me that the person who would expected to stop, the priest or the Levite, aren't stopping. And then the person who comes to help is a Samaritan. And he is helping out. That's a surprising turn in the story. And it's a very pleasant surprise. Because this would have been an unlikely, if I'm being polite, an unlikely candidate to be the superhero in the story. But if I'm being blunt, I would say it's somebody who's despised and spiritually downgraded. It's not who you'd have expected to be stepping in in that situation. I don't really know who would have been in our day, but it would have been somebody who you would have not expected to be the one that reaches out to help the person in need. Probably, poor analogy, I'm sure you can pick holes in the analogy, but it's the example of the, the, the preacher, the pastor, and the worship leader passing by somebody who's fallen into the street in Canford, and the local drug dealer being the one that stops and helps the person. Something along those lines, an unexpected candidate, somebody you wouldn't have thought would do something like that. There would have been zero expectation in a Jewish mindset that the priest and the Levite would do nothing and the Samaritan would do something. So this would have been a real, real surprise. And what is happening? What is happening is that the man opens his eyes and he sees this is what he says. This is what Luke is saying. The Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then he also paid some money to the owner of the inn, saying, if there's extra expense, I'll cover that as well. Man alive, this is beautiful. This is such a surprise. He stops and he sees the man. It almost seems like those didn't see him. You know, you know how that is. You're walking through through a city and you've got a homeless person and you don't want to engage with them. And you just kind of have tunnel vision where you pretend you don't hear, you don't see. That's what's going on here. But this man sees him and he stops and he engages with him. 
his heart goes to him and he takes pity on him and he goes to him and he gets his hands dirty. He bandages his wounds. He pours out oil and wine in order to, to, to kind of bring relief and a soothing to the pain that the man is in. He puts him in on his donkey. This would have been the equivalent of taking somebody who's bleeding and, and maybe has gunshots or been stabbed and putting them in your nice fancy car with beautiful cream upholstery. This is the kind of picture that you would have had to see. And he goes the extra mile. He spends time with him, taking him to the next hotel. And even when he has to leave to go to whatever he had to do next, whether it's his family or his job, he pays for him. And he says to the owner of the hotel, Whatever the cost is, when I'm coming back, I'll cover it. You just look after the man. Now, that is a pleasant surprise. That's a turn and a twist in the story. You have the surprise, unpleasant surprise of seeing two people you would have expected to reach out and do some amazing kind work because they were religious and religious leaders, but they don't do anything. And then you have the surprise of somebody who goes over the top showing lavish, extravagant, going the extra mile and then some more in order to practically care for this man. So when Jesus is asked this question by this young lawyer who actually wanted to trap Jesus, and then when Jesus traps him, he's trying to find a loophole, basically not to look after people he doesn't like. And Jesus goes right for the heart and he says, you want to know who your neighbor is? Well, let me tell you a story. And then he asks and he says, who is the one who was the real neighbor? The good one. And the man says, well, he was a Samaritan. Why? Because it isn't about who was supposed to look after him, who you've expected to look after him. But it's the person that actually did it and showed it through their actions. Now, let me clarify, right at the very beginning, we heard this young ruler, young lawyer coming to Jesus and asking this question. Now, this isn't about salvation. You don't become a follower of Jesus. You don't inherit eternal life through doing good deeds for other people. This is just Jesus trying to kind of uh, push back on the loophole that he was trying to find and the entrapment that he was trying to find in order to confuse Jesus and get Jesus into hot water. No, you actually inherit eternal life and become a Christian through surrendering your life to Jesus and having the love of Jesus come and fill your life. And then you're able to serve other people and love other people as you were loved by Jesus himself. So it isn't through doing good deeds that you inherit eternal life. Let me clarify that because that's an important clarification. You are actually enabled to do amazing things for other people as you surrender your life to Christ because Christ lives in you. And as he did amazing things for people when he was on earth, he can still do it through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So eternal life is not earned through good deeds. Don't get that confusion. Get that right. It is a gift that comes through surrendering our life to Jesus. But Jesus is saying, go and do likewise. And this is a takeaway. This is the punchline. This is the mic drop. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. 
So first of all, I must say to you, if you're not a Christian, you can't go and do likewise. The first step you need to do is to surrender your life to Jesus and let the love of Jesus come and bring forgiveness and freedom in, and fullness in your life. And then you're able to go and do likewise because you are filled with Jesus's love. But some of you watching this have already experienced that. You, you, you've already experienced the forgiveness and the freedom that the love of Jesus brings. And the challenge for you is go and do likewise. You see, it isn't about the label that we wear. We could be wearing the label priest or Levite. That doesn't mean that, 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 that it's okay. It is about what we do. And therefore, the important thing is for our actions to match our words. That's essential. And that's the calling and the challenge this morning. Go and do likewise for our actions to match our words. And we would do well to learn in a very practical way from what the good Samaritan did. For me, it's really simple. My love language is practical. And I think it's essential that we don't evade this. Sometimes we can be loving with our words and in theory, and I guess the priest and the Levite would have said, oh Lord, I love my neighbor, but they didn't show it. It is so important that we demonstrate that. And he did it. And the actions matched what the man believed in his heart. So how do we do that? We do what he did. Be attentive. It's so important to learn to notice the people around us and particularly those who are struggling. Pray for that. Pray that the Holy Spirit will show you who needs your attention. And sometimes you don't need to pray. Just need to open your eyes and open your ears and you'll see it and you'll hear it. Sometimes we can be a little bit foolish. And I think it's just a defense mechanism and excuses and decides we can say, Lord, just show me what I need to do. And we keep our eyes closed and we keep on praying. God is saying, just open your eyes. Just open your ears. Just put on the news. Just go walk to, through your neighborhood. Just spend some time listening to people around you. Just maybe go on social media and instead of reading all sorts of weird stuff and looking at videos of cats doing whatever they do, just Hear the, the, the cry of the heart of the person that you've probably read who's feeling lonely, who's feeling disheartened, who just needs an encouragement. Let's open our eyes and our ears. Let's do that. Let's be attentive. Be interruptible. This man didn't say, hey, I've got my schedule. I've got my 11 o'clock appointment. We will never be able to influence the lives of other people around us and to go and do likewise, like Jesus said, unless our lives are interruptible. Do you know why? Everybody's busy. Stop using that excuse because you're not alone. <laughs> Everybody's busy. You know, if you haven't got kids, you've got elderly parents. If you haven't got kids and elderly parents, you've got a house that you alone have to look after it. If you have a job, you know, you're busy. If you haven't got a job, you're probably serving in other ways and you. everybody's busy. Busyness is just, you know, a leveler. And it's no excuse. We need to be interruptible. If you want to be in the busy state, and if you want to live in that way, hey, you will never be able to do, go and do likewise and be a good Samaritan. Because our lives need to be interruptible. Our schedules, our plans, our agendas need to be interruptible. And I love that this man was interruptible and he stopped and he saw the need. Be compassionate. 
It's not enough just to see a need and go, hey, I'm sorry for you, mate. I'll pray for you. James is very blunt about that. James is one of the writers in the New Testament. And he's, he, you know, I keep often saying he's a bit like a Yorkshire man. He says it as it is. And he says, don't do not do that. That's just not what God wants. You've got to match your words with some deeds. It's not enough just to pray. It's good to pray. It's very good to pray. But it's not good enough to use prayer as an excuse to do nothing if you can do something. So let that compassion build in your heart and do something practical. Be practical. Compassion without any practical deed, if you can do something practical, is useless. I love this guy. He's so practical. He goes to the man. He mends his wounds. He puts the oil. He puts the wine. So he disinfects and, and he soothes that. He puts him on his donkey, carries him to the inn, stays a little bit with him. This is amazing. This is love in action. It's very practical. And then it's generous. It costs the guy something. He has to pay for this man to be looked after. He's not afraid to get his wallet out and do something about it. That's amazing. Be attentive, be interruptible, be compassionate, be practical, be generous. Go and do likewise, Jesus is saying. How do we do this? We need to transform our thinking. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12 about this change of mind that happens when you're a Christian. And I'll read to you from the message again because it brings it out in a slightly different, more emphasized way. And here is what he's saying. Here is what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants you to do and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. This is what happens when you follow Jesus. You might say, well, how can I be the good Samaritan? It's by a renewal of your mind, by a change of your mindset. The world in which we live in, it's at its very core level, fairly selfish. Look after number one, do what's right for you. Pursue your own happiness and your own financial gain and your own well-being on all levels. It's look after the number one. And the kingdom of God and the mentality of the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus is you've got to reach out to others. You've got to live as a servant. You've got to bless others. How do we do that? It's by being transformed with our mindset and our heart, our thinking and our affection. So do we begin to notice the person like the Good Samaritan did? And like Jesus did it for us. You might say, well, that's just intimidating. It's quite scary because I'm not there. Let me give you some encouragement. We talked about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He brings those kind of fruits in them. 
Just as you've seen the trees blossoming and soon you'll see some of the trees bearing some of the fruit on them. When you are in Christ, when Jesus is in your life and you're submitted to him, those kind of fruit will begin to grow. You might say, what is that fruit? Let me tell you. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. You might say, how do I get to be a good Samaritan? You experience that change that I talked about earlier on the mindset and the affection. And then as you let the Holy Spirit rule in your life and control your life, fruit will begin to grow. And before you know it, you'll have that kindness. You'll have that gentleness. You'll have that love. You'll have that desire to reach out to other people and help them. Go and do likewise. Let me tell you one of my favorite stories uh, about this Good Samaritan kind of stuff. In 2009, Time magazine ran an article about a Japanese guy. And uh, there's a particular spot in, in Japan. It's, it's called the Dojimbo Cliffs. And it's a popular, I mean, it's, it sounds like an oxymoron. It's a popular site for suicide attempts along the coast of the Sea of Japan. Uh, and there's a retired policeman who basically spend a lot of, spends a lot of time around that area. And when the article was written, about 188 people had been saved through his actions. He just basically spends some time in that area and tries to look out for people who might be in danger, might be distressed, and might be in danger of taking their own side. And here is what he does. Here's what the article uh, says. Every day since 2004, Shige, his name is Yuko Shige, the retired policeman, he just roams around the Donjibo cliffs. If he spots someone in need, he slowly approaches them, offers them a gentle hello, and then does his best to engage them in conversation. At some point, Shige will offer them a light touch on the shoulder which almost always causes the person to burst into tears. And then he will say softly to them, you've had a hard time until now, haven't you? The beauty is that Shiga's work doesn't end there. He will often take the person to an office and he rents the office for about $800 a month for some counseling sessions. He says there's no rush in Shija's office. He offers those who get there aroshi mochi, a dish of pounded sticky rice served with grated relish. Traditionally, the food is prepared to celebrate the new year with each family taking its own rice to be mixed with that of its neighbors. When people come here and eat mochi, they remember their childhood, their father, their mother, their siblings, their hometown, and they remember they're not alone. Towards the end of the article, this is what is pointed out about Shija. One of the interesting things, this is 2000, whenever, 2009, the article's written, so it's pre-2009. Interestingly enough, the ringtone on Shija's phone, you couldn't make this up. I wonder if you can guess what it was. Amazing Grace. Which seems to be the perfect choice, because that's, what this man does. He's a truly a good Samaritan and he reaches out to other people in need.
and in his own way is trying to help them. And here is how he sums up his mission. I want Donjibo to be the most challenging place, not where life ends, but where life begins. That's an amazing example. How much more could we do if we let our hearts overflow with the love of Jesus, who himself was the good Samaritan? Receive him, submit to him, and then go and do likewise. Amen.